All right, everybody. Welcome. Glad to have you here at New Life. Wow, what an exciting day it is. If you would go ahead and find your seats. Find a seat. That'll be great. My name is Jeff Baker. I'm just one of the pastors on staff here at New Life. You are sitting in one of our, uh, our four worship services, and you're definitely sitting in one of three auditoriums currently now uh, where people are at worshiping live with us. Live worship, you know, hosts that are there to serve them, you know, people that are out at welcome centers, children's ministry that's taking place. You know, between here and North Platte, we've got hundreds of volunteers um, engaged every single Sunday. So I want to say a big hello and a uh, congratulations one more time to all of our, uh, our family out in North Platte worshiping with us right now. We're proud of you guys. We are proud of you. Uh, man, we, so we're bigger. You're bigger than what you see out there in North Platte. You're part, of a, you're part of a church body that loves and cares about people, and we care about each other. We're just trying to make a, a church that is um, inviting to every single person to come and find a life-transforming relationship with Jesus. I also want to say a big hello to uh, the venue who's worshiping with us that's down uh, in our gym here at our Carney campus. Come on, give it up for them. You know, I forgot something last week. We had our New Life United event that was out in Camp Lex where, you know, all of our locations gathered together. We had a night of worship. It was, it was mind-blowing. Today, we're going to be talking about the power of God and how we have to trust the power of God. I'm telling you, the power of God showed up out there at Camp Lex um, when we had that night of worship. And it was fantastic. God did some great things. And if you were able to make it, you would probably say the same. Now, the next time we do one, if it's at all possible for you to join us, please put it on your calendar and join us. These are very, very special moments uh, that God's doing in our body. Now, right after that, because we were at our church camp, we have a gym, we've got goat carts, we've got this massive snack shack with foosball tables and carpet ball tables and ice cream machines and, you know, cheeseburgers and hot dogs and all that kind of stuff. It was just a blast. We had these fire pits that were out there, but we joined together and we played dodgeball. That's right. It was the nine o'clock service. They had a team. The 1045 main auditorium had a team. North Platte had a team. And then the venue had a team. And I'm telling you, this is no joke. As the, as the event went on, the nine o'clock service, which I played on, we got knocked out first. Um, yeah, I mean, it was... Somebody had to leave the game first. We humbled ourselves and served the rest of the body. That's what we did. That's what we did. Um, we humbled ourselves. We were, maybe I should, I should say that we got humbled. Let's put it that way. That's, probably, that's what I meant to say. All right, so, but then it got down to North Platte against the venue, right? Right before my very eyes, a miracle took place. The venue, they ended up with extra people. I don't know where they came from. But the gym rats, and I affectionately use that word, the gym rats won the dodgeball tournament. Can we give it up for those guys? Come on. Nine o'clock people will get you next year. Yeah, that's right. So last week, I hear that they make this announcement during their, during their uh, like announcement time down there to the song by, of all groups, the band Queen playing, we are the champions. Our friend, they, are, they are so focused on themselves. You guys need to be set free from that. 
All right, anyways, that's enough. It's enough. Let's get going here today, or we're going to be here all the way through till next week. And that's not what you came here for. Um, but ushers, lock the doors at this moment. That'll be good. Today, today we are going to continue our teaching series with the I Am Second, and I am going to be talking to you today about how can you live as second with Christ being first. We're going to focus today on trusting God's power. Uh, any of you guys leaders where you have to lead other people at work? Let me see hands. Leaders, bosses, um, executive officers, whatever it is. Okay. Um, you know, maybe in your, in your line of work, you got, you were, you've been given some leadership training. Not everybody's given leadership training. And so they end up becoming this micromanager. Has anybody ever worked for a micromanager? Please raise your hand, not out of anger, but just out of love for them. Okay. All right. Thank you. Not out of defiance. Like, oh, I remember that person. All right. Micromanagers. What causes a person to be a micromanager? What causes a person to get a salary or to get an hourly wage to do their job, but then they show up and they want to do two and three other people's jobs and they're not even getting paid for it? Well, poor leadership, obviously, is number one. I mean, poor leadership ruins an organization, hands down. It is the killer of anything called momentum and anything called business, anything called church. If you've got bad leaders, that organization, that business is not going anywhere. But in the midst of poor leadership, then you also get this impatience. Like, I'm just the manager. I'm just not patient enough to deal with these people. I'm going to get in there and just have to do it myself. Or they get to a point where they're just like, you know what? Forget it. I can't trust these people that work underneath me. Um, and so I'm just going to do the, I'm just going to do it anyways. I, the, you know, I can't trust the fact they've been given this authority or they've been given this position. And so they just step in and do it. Now there's a whole list of things of which we're not here today to talk about how to make you a better leader, and how to make you a better manager. However, the answer to today's sermon will definitely help you get there. If you learn to trust in the power of God's spirit. Um, but let's turn the tables over for a moment. Have you, since many of you have put your hand up, you know what it feels like to be micromanaged, right? Let me just give you a few words that have gone through my mind at times. Frustrated. You mean you come home from work, you sit down with your wife to eat dinner or, you know, sit down with the kids. And man, when you have to work underneath a micromanager, don't you just come home and you're just totally excited about your job? You're frustrated, right? Um, you are, you feel underappreciated, you feel like you're not trusted and you finally start asking yourself this kind of a question. Why do they even need me? Why do they even need me? Now what's so interesting about that feeling of why do they even need me? Um, you know, that feeling of like, why don't they, why don't they trust me? You know, like why, what is it about me that they, they don't appreciate? I want you to contemplate that for a moment as we consider the fact that many times we tend to micromanage God. We tend to override God's will with, you know, what we're going to get accomplished. We tend to override God's speed at healing something and fixing something. And it's just not going at the right speed. So we get in there and we try to get our hands in it. And we try to fix things and heal things and make things go at a speed of which, you know, we want them to go. Um, we only give God authority in certain areas of our lives because, well, either A, uh, we just don't know how to trust him with the other one. Or what happens often is this. We grow comfortable in certain areas of our, life, of our lives. So we say, God, I've got this area. Yeah, I've, I've got this part of my, my Christian walk with you. I've got this down. You can have these other areas because these other areas are where I really need your help. But I've got these. And many times that's the Achilles heel 
that begins the micromanager inside of you to kick in and start trumping God's authority or are walking, not coinciding with God, but walking against the grain of God. It's that comfortable sense. It's that I don't need God in this particular area or God, thank you for what you have done. Now I have it. You know, like I've got this thing. I'm, I'm okay with it. Now, just play that out for, for me with a, for a second. Maybe you've experienced some of the same things I have when I've tried to micromanage God and I say, God, I've got this. Then all of a sudden I start seeing glimpses of my old self start coming through. Like where I, I have really been set free, but now I'm going to lead it. So now all of a sudden I see glimpses of my old man. Like I see glimpses of anger and they start coming back up again. And, but I say to myself, oh, well, I, I can handle this because I'm, I'm seeing it now. You see, before God, I couldn't see it. And then it's not just the, a glimpse, but then it's a slip. And as I start slipping, you start saying, whoa, whoa, okay, well, God, that's okay. I can still handle it because at least I noticed the slip. And then I stumble and I fall flat on my face and and I get back up and I go, God, see, see how I got back up there? See how I blew it? See how I I failed, but how I got back up? Look at that, God. You see how I did that? That's because I've got this. I got, thank you for what you've done. I've got it. So I fell flat on my face. I got back up because I I can recognize it. And then one day you fall flat on your face and you're laying there and you're sucking dirt and you can't get back up anymore. Now what do you say? God, <laughs> I need you. Seems as if when everything's going good or decent in a particular area, whether it's work, marriage, raising kids, or finances, or whatever, a micromanager in us kicks in, and we stop trusting in God's power, and we start trusting in ours. And anytime you try to micromanage what God's supposed to lead, then it always leads to spiritual death for you. That's because God wants to be first in your life, not in some areas, but in all areas. And for that to happen, we have to learn how to trust in his power. We have to learn how to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to direct us and to lead us in every single situation and area. Let me just say this to you. That's a great statement, way harder to live. It's a great statement that all of us know it's true. And right now you're like, seriously, we already know that. I know, but isn't it interesting how we know it, but it's so hard to apply? So that's what we're dealing with today is how do we apply allowing God's spirit to lead us more often than what he is right now? How do we do that? There's practical things that we can do. And so we're going to land in God's word in 1 Kings chapter 18, where As classic to the I Am Second teaching series, I'm not going to read you the entire chapter of 1 Kings chapter 18, and I'm sure you're thankful for that, because that's not what you're here today, is just for me to read a whole chapter to you and then pray and let's go. You can do that at your own house. So during the I Am Second teaching series, we're we're taking 1 Kings chapter 18 and we're going to give you a monologue. We're going to paraphrase the entire chapter for you. One of our drama members is going to come take you on a wild ride through a chapter, but I want you to hear about a man called Elijah and how he had to trust in the power of God and God's spirit. Take a listen. All right. Imagine for a moment a man who publicly practices sexual immorality, cultic forms of worship, builds 
shrines that often include the sacrifice of children, and he really liked publicly executing God's prophets. That would be my boss. Oh, and also there's no food or water. My name is Obadiah. Now, not that Obadiah. I get that a lot. You're thinking of the prophet Obadiah. But you see, Obadiah wasn't such an uncommon name in my time, an awful lot like um, Jeff or Kim were everywhere. I did get a mention in God's holy word, though, which was really very cool. It's not that I earned it or deserved it, but uh, I was right in the right place at the right time, I guess. I was in charge of the palace of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, probably the most evil king in all of Israel. So, we are in the third year of the worst drought and famine that anybody in Samaria could ever remember. We're eating the king's horses. And so King Ahab comes to me and he says, you go one way, I'm going to go the other. We have got to check every valley and every spring in the land. Hopefully we can find at least enough grass to feed some of the horses and save some of the mules. So we did. We, I went one way and, and he went the other. And as I'm walking along, I run into Elijah. Ha, well, what can I say about Elijah? Uh, I was a man of God. But Elijah, he was a superman of God. I mean, everybody knew. It was like running into somebody famous. Everybody knew who he was, and everybody knew that King Ahab was looking for him. I mean, by this time, Jezebel had killed off almost all of God's prophets. I mean, I tried to help. Once, I took a hundred of them. I hid them in two caves, gave them food and water, but nobody could ever find Elijah. The king hated Elijah. Number one on his most wanted list, you could, you could say that. So I bow down. Elijah, is it really you? And he says, yes, it is. Now go get me Ahab. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, hold on a second. Okay, I, I freaked out a little bit. What? Are you trying to get me killed? What have I ever done to you? You want me to get Ahab and bring him here. Now, please, it's not that I don't trust Elijah. It's that Elijah, Elijah's, Elijah's like the wind sometimes. I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit calls him somewhere, and I really don't think that he cares who he's talking to or what he's in the middle of. He's gone. He is gone. And so I said right to his face, Elijah, hey, suppose I go get the king, and I bring him back here. And then the Spirit of the Lord calls you away to who knows where, and you're not here when we get back? He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me right here. What? I, I, I mean, you remember those hundred prophets that got hidden in the caves? That was me. I did that. I gave them food and water. That was me. And now you want to get me killed? Well, Elijah calms me down briefly. He says, hey, it was actually God that sent him here. He wanted to talk to Ahab and he was going to tell Ahab that he was going to send rain. And he swore by the Lord God Almighty that he would be there when we got back. So I went and got the king. And when we got back, he was there. thought I had you for my... He was, he was there. And instantly the king says, so it is you, you troublemaker of Israel. And Elijah's like, it's not me. I've made no trouble. It's you and your family. You've refused the Lord and you worship the images of Baal. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up to the Mount of Carmel. 
you get all the prophets of Baal together and grab the prophets of Asherah as well and we'll meet on the mountain. And so we, we head up to Mount Carmel. And there they are, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 more of Asherah. And Elijah stands up and he basically says, enough! If the Lord is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. But no more of this in between. Nobody said anything. And Elijah says, okay, look, I am the only prophet of the Lord left. There are 450 of you. Let's get some bulls, make some altars, and, uh, and, and have our gods burn the sacrifice. But you can't use any fire. Whoever's God burns up the sacrifice, they're God. And everybody thought that was a great idea. So being as there's one of Elijah and 450 of them, he suggests that they go first. And, and they do. They, they pick the bull and they make the altar and they set on the wood and they cut up the bull and they prepare the whole thing. And they start calling on Baal. All morning long. About noon rolls around Elijah. He's, he, starts, he starts mocking them. Hey, shout louder, why don't you? Maybe he likes that kind of thing. Or maybe he's spacing off somewhere. Or maybe he's got to pee. <laughs> okay, he said relieving himself. But, but uh, we all knew what he meant. At that. But I do think that it made him mad because they started dancing around and hobbling on one leg and they're screaming and they're screaming and chanting. You know, it sounded like sheep. Bail, 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 for it, bail. They're cutting themselves, dancing around. There's blood all over the place and still absolutely nothing. So Elijah, he calls him over and he starts to prepare the old altar of the Lord that was there. And he sets 12 stones around it, one for each tribe of Israel. And, uh, and he, he digs a trench around it. And uh, he, he puts the wood on and prepares the bull. And this is where it, it gets really weird. He tells us to pour water on the altar. I mean, a lot of water. And after we do that, he says, do it again and again. I mean, this thing is running water everywhere. It's not wet. It's soaked. The water's coming down. It fills the trench around it. It's overflowing. It's sitting in the middle of a pond. And then Elijah, the prophet of God, begins to pray. O Lord, God of Israel, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant. Prove today that this is all at your command. Prove today that you are God and you have brought the people back to yourself. Now I know what you're thinking, that it was real cool. wind starts to blow there's a cloud overhead and the ground starts to rumble no there's nothing like that he says and bring the people back to yourself and bam the bull is gone the fire gone the wood gone the rocks are gone the sound of all of it the fire coming down and incinerating the wood and the bull and licking up the flames and turning them into mist right before your eyes oh, oh, did you see that 
Well, is anyone writing this down? Instantly, thousands of people, bam, on their faces, the Lord, he is God, he is God. I mean, people, you got to quit believing that God gets himself in these battles and he's down for the count and then one eye pops open and he stands up and takes out the enemy in one final blow. There is God's power and there's not showing up at all. Instantly, Elijah says, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let them get away. And he takes them down to the valley and he kills them. All of them. The wages of sin is death, huh? Ahab, Ahab just kind of stood there. And Elijah looks at him and he says, you better get something to eat because it's going to rain. Ahab did that. And, well, I didn't, I didn't see any rain, but um, Elijah prays. And sure enough, after about seven times, we see this cloud start to form over the ocean. And he looks at Ahab and he says, you better hurry. It's going to rain so hard, you may not make it back. And then as soon as it starts getting really dark, Elijah takes his cloak and he tucks it in his belt and he takes off running so fast, he passes Ahab and his chariot all the way to the gates of Jezreel. I told you that he was like the wind. God was good to Elijah. Okay, I'm going to back up for just a second. Wait, that came out wrong. God was good to Elijah because Elijah put God first, period. And you know what? I put God first too. And did you see what he did? He gave me that job. He put me in that palace. He kept me safe. He saved those prophets. He gave them food and water. He had me run into Elijah, and he rocked the prophets of Baals right before my very eyes because, you see, he's alive, and he's breathing. And you know what? His power lives in each one of us, and he's still rocking people's worlds today. Oh! He's strength, he's power, he's courage, he's provision, he's safety. He's, he's my almighty God. I am Obadiah, and I am so second. Uh, Obviously, you're probably thinking what I am, like, how do you follow that, right? (laughs) So here's how I follow it. Um, The Bible, according to Joe, is actually on sale out in our lobby. Um, (laughs) It's really long, all right, but you can't put it down. So that's my my endorsement of it right there. Uh, Anyways, so today, today, here we are. We find ourselves in this incredible passage of a man who is trusting in God's power, Elijah, and in Obadiah. So if you want to be like these two guys, and you want to learn how to really trust God's power in your personal life, then here's what we're going to have to be okay with. We're first going to have to be okay with being stretched beyond your comfort zone. That's what happened for Elijah. Elijah has to come out of hiding and show up in the face of King Ahab, the very one who's trying to kill him, and he knows it. That's getting stretched out of your comfort zone, I would say. When you know somebody wants to kill you and they have the authority to do it and you still show up, that's getting stretched. 
And then you have Obadiah who shows up, finds him on the path, and then Elijah's saying, hey, go tell the king who you know is wicked above every other king, who you know wants to kill me, and if he finds out that you follow God as well, then he's going to kill you. I want you to go tell that king, meet me out here. And that was, that was very stretching uh, to Obadiah. You, you heard it in the story. It was so stretching that Obadiah says a few things back to Elijah that I thought you might want to focus a little attention on if you're going to really learn what it means to be stretched beyond your comfort zone but still put your trust in God. Here's the first thing that he says in verse 9. Obadiah tells Elijah, what harm have I done to you that you are sending me to my death at the hands of King Ahab? First thing, what harm have I done to you? See, if, when we get stretched by God, many times we go into the same, the same excuse. What have I done to you, God? Why are you stretching me? Why are you pulling on me? Why are you asking me to go beyond what I'm comfortable with? Have I agitated you? Have I harmed you? Have I done something to offend you? We instantly assume that when we're spiritually feeling stretched and having to trust in God's power more than we are right now, that we assume we've done something wrong. And that's the first thing I want to eradicate from your mind. God doesn't stretch you because he's agitated with you. God stretches you because he wants you to grow spiritually. He loves you and he cares about you. The second thing that he says, though, in that simple passage in verse 9 is that, why are you sending me to my death? And see, it's just like us. Many times we feel like when we have to trust God for something that it's, it seems like impossible at times. Like, how can I, can I really trust God to heal my marriage? I mean, look how far gone it is. Can I really trust God, you know, to keep praying for my son who has just wandered away from the gospel of truth? You know, can he really ever come back? God, I mean, can I really trust? It seems impossible. Look at all the debt I'm in. How do I ever tithe, much less get out of this debt? Why are you sending me to my death? Why have you put something in front of me that is so impossible that I can't, I can't do it? And that's the second thing I want to eradicate from your mind. God's not going to challenge you to trust his spirit on something that's going to send you to your death. He wants to grow you spiritually. That's why he does it. If any of you guys listen to MyBridge Radio, I do a radio spot uh, every single month. I was asked to do it, and I'm very, very pleased to be able to be a part of that. Uh, This last one that I did, though, I was talking about going on a missions trip to Romania, although I didn't mention that. I was just on a missions trip with a friend of mine, a pastor out of Lincoln, Bruce Riddle. Uh, and Bruce and I used to be youth pastors together in the state. He was over in Holdridge, and I was here at uh, New Life. We went to Romania, and when we get there, he gives us all these rubber bands, and we have to put them on our wrist, and then he calls us to pull it as far away as we feel comfortable, ow, and then let it go, right? And just like that, ow. People snickered, and all the teenagers started reaching over and snapping each other's rubber bands, and it became a big game. Well, he said to us, he goes, guys, you've accepted God's mission And when you accept God's mission, you need to know something. God's going to stretch you. And we're going to get in the moments when you get stretched and you're going to have to do things you didn't want to do. And you're going to have to be in places you don't want to be. And you have to say things that you didn't want to say. But you're the one that accepted God's mission. And when you accept God's mission, he's going to stretch you. And there's going to be moments when I'm going to ask you to pull your rubber band and snap your wrist just to remind us all we're in one of those God-stretching moments. So I gave you rubber bands today. You see, you've accepted God's mission. You're here today. And just by being here, God's going to stretch you. 
Just by being here today, God's word is going to pull on your heart. He's going to stretch you a little bit. And it's, it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but it's in one of those moments that God's wanting to cause you to grow. So why don't you just do this with me? Put your rubber band on. Just put it on right now. All right? Did everybody have them on? If you didn't, if you didn't get one, then you, maybe you could just thank God for a moment and just go, wow, that was a little miracle. Like, I, I, I don't have to inflict pain on myself. Thank you, God. Yeah, and it's a bit weird because I'm not, I'm not doing it for the pain factor. I'm doing it for the illustration factor, okay? So I want you to take the rubber band. I want you to pull it back as far as you feel comfortable doing and let it go. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, ow. All right. It hurts every time, especially when you get yourself twice in the same spot. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to come back to this rubber band in just a moment. Obadiah is continuing to be stretched, though. And in his stretching, there's some other things I think we can learn so that we can allow God to stretch us. Look what happens in verse 12. Obadiah goes on and he says this to Elijah. As soon as I leave you, the spirit of the Lord is going to carry you away to who knows where. And when Ahab comes and cannot find you, he's going to kill me. That's the second time that he feels like he's going to die. Obadiah and his excuses that he gives to Elijah says it three times. He's going to die. He's going to die. I think he knew he was going to die if this thing doesn't go right. But here's the piece I want you to go. I want you to kind of walk away with. The spirit of the Lord is going to carry you away. When we get stretched by God, one of the big excuses I hear all the time is if I step out and I trust God, you know, at my work, if I stand up for God, you know, God's going to make me look like a fool. He's not going to be there. Like, if I trust God, it's like God's like the wind to me at times. Sometimes he's close, and other times he just seems like, where did he go? And I want you to know something today. I want you to eradicate this from your mind. That if you trust God's power, if God's spirit is speaking to you, and you trust him, and you step out, God's going to be right there. God's not going to, all of a sudden, not show up and stand at a distance and watch you fall flat on your face and mock you. That's not the heart of God. So you can trust God because he will be there. There's one more thing, though, that Obadiah does that I think you would be um, you know, wise to follow and understand, and that's this. He says to Elijah, has no one told you, Elijah, my, my Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? I hid a hundred of them in two caves, and I supplied them with food and with water. What's so significant about that? When we get stretched by God beyond our comfort zones, one of our big excuses is trying to justify, haven't, hey God, seriously, haven't I done enough for you? Do I really need to be stretched more? I mean, God, look at what I've done. Look at how much I've accomplished for you. God, look how long I've been faithful you know, before you. God, look at how much I've, I've given you. God, look, I've been at church, God, for the last three out of the four Sundays. I mean, come on. We, we try to justify all that we've done because we don't want to be stretched. That's, that's, not, that's not where you want to be. Um, you know, one of the things you need to realize today is this. As long as you have breath, God's going to stretch you. That means as long as you're alive, he's going to keep stretching you. You never get to an age, you never reach a spiritual status where all of a sudden God says, way to go, way to go, you did it. Not while you're on this earth. You know, I stood in my office and I prayed, uh, you know, before our services today. As I'm standing there, the sunrise starts coming up. 
And wow, it was beautiful this morning, if you didn't see it. It was amazing. And I look out to the east, and I see the sun coming up. You know what the first thought is that goes through my mind? The sun's coming up. That means, God, you're still in control. He's the one who ignited it. He's the one that spun the world like a top. And as it spins and the, and the sunrise comes up, I know one thing, one thing that's solid and one thing that's true. God's still in control. It doesn't matter what any man says, what any government does. I can rest assured he is in control. And as long as God's in control and I'm, my two feet are planted on this earth and I'm standing upright, God's going to keep stretching me. And God's going to keep stretching you as well. So let's live, allowing God to stretch us to become the greatest. Let's let God stretch us to love greater than we've ever loved before. Let's let God stretch us to work, you know, more efficiently than we've ever worked before. Let's let God stretch us to be leaders like we've never led before. Let's let God stretch us to be givers like we've never given before. Let's not, let's not be a people of excuses like what Obadiah was trying to give. Let's not be like our children when we try to put them to bed or, you know, if you're, if you're older, like your children were when you tried to put them to bed because it doesn't matter, you know, what era you live in. Kids are always the same when you try to put them to bed. It's at that moment that they have a million excuses. It's time to go to bed. Oh, hey, by the way, I have three stories I want to tell you. Hey, it's time to go to bed. And they try to do this one to you. You think it's so cute. You're proud of your kid. But I'm telling you, it's a gimmick and it's kid driven and they're being taught it. You know, when they all gather together in little kid huddles. And that is, hey, when it's time to go to bed, ask your, ask your mom to read a book to you. And you pick it out. Pick a long one. And you're like, oh, my kid wants me to read it. No, they're tricking you. It's built into the kid DNA. They got to eat or they got to do something. Stop. They, they use excuses, but that's who we are. We, we try to use excuses to God when it's time to get stretched beyond our comfort zone. And if we trust in if we're going to try to trust really in God's power, then we're going to have to lay those excuses down. Obadiah would never have been in the Bible. We would not be preaching about him. You would not have heard that incredible monologue from Joe Risk um, if he chose to just trust in his own excuses. When he trusted in God's power. That's when, that's when amazing things begin to happen. So remember, God's stretching you. He's always going to stretch you. And I want you to wear this rubber band this week. There's some, two things that are going to happen this week if you wear it. Number one, someone might ask you, why are you wearing this rubber band? Well, that's your opportunity to tell them. Well, you know what, man? It came from my church. You should have heard this sermon. It was amazing. <laughs> you might just want to tell them, hey, you know, my pastor gave it to me, and uh, you can go to mynewlifechurch.com and see the sermon. All right? So it might, it might save you a little embarrassment. But yeah, it'll give you an opportunity to, to uh, share Jesus with people. But the other thing is, what I want you to do is, when you feel stretched by God, when you feel like you're in one of those moments when patience is being stretched, you're in one of those moments when, um, you, you know, your faith is being stretched. You're in a moment where maybe God's asking you to share your faith with someone, and that's stretching to you. Just, all you got to do is just kind of pull on that rubber band. You don't have to snap yourself all week long. Your coworkers are going to think you're weird, and your wrist is going to swell up and look really bad. So... Just pull on it, all right? Just kind of remind yourself, God stretches those that he loves. Well, if you want to continue to follow God and uh, trust in his power, then you're going to have to be consistent. I'm just going to be straight with you. If you call yourself a Christian, and if you're going around town telling people you go to new life, then people are going to hold you to a certain level of expectation. 
That's just what they're going to do. Our world is looking for Christians that actually live what they say. They're looking for Christians that will be different than what they are. They're looking for the gospel, the power of God, that will actually set itself apart from the rest of the world and the way the rest of the world lives. God's looking for a group of believers that will be willing to be consistent in their faith and make it their number one priority. When I mean number one priority, I mean it's more important than your marriage. It's more important than your children. It's more important than your finances. That a consistency in our spiritual walk before God becomes our number one priority. How are you going to live a life like that? You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to tell you right now. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to lead a life and to live it, live one of consistency. See, this is something that, uh, you know, Elijah, he, he taps on this nerve with these people as they're up on Mount Carmel. Take a look at what he says to them. He goes, Elijah went before the people and said this, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And what did the people do? The people said nothing. Elijah basically comes to the people and he says this, stop allowing your feelings to waver you back and forth. Like, I, well, I feel like this might be the right thing to do or I feel like that's the right thing to do. Stop with that. Your feelings are always gonna lead you astray. Start being more concerned with what the Holy Spirit has to say, with what God's word says. Trust in what God's word says. Trust in what the Holy Spirit says. And stop relying just on your feelings. They're going to lead you astray every single time. He also says to the people in that one simple statement, stop following your peers. Stop allowing your peers to dictate whether you're going to trust God at this moment or not. Some of you are in a position where you... You, you, you put yourself into the peers of a church and you, you respond and you act one way. And you put yourself into the peers of you know, your work and you respond and you act a different way. And Elijah would stand up here and he would say, stop, being, stop wavering back and forth. Pick one side and abandon yourself to it. Don't allow your peers to dictate to you who's going to be in control, who's going to live first. Trust in God's spirit. Jesus, Jesus hung out with sinners, but he didn't become a sinner. Jesus, he hung out with Pharisees, but he didn't become legalistic. Jesus was Jesus wherever he went. My challenge to you and me is, let's be men and women of God wherever we are. But we're going to have to do that by trusting in God's spirit. Don't allow a leader, Elijah was basically saying to them, don't let one of these prophets of Baal tell you, you know, how you're supposed to live. Trust in the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, he basically tells them this. Don't, don't waver back and forth trusting in what the government or what Ahab says. Trust in what the Holy Spirit says. Don't let the government at any time in your life dictate to you how passionate you should be for Christ. Ever. Ever. Make a decision. Stop wavering back and forth. Pick a side and be all in. Be like an anchor to a boat in the middle of the ocean. An anchor goes down and it holds itself against the foundation of the earth. And the waters, they shift and the winds shift back and forth. But that boat stays on point. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit can do. This world's not going to get any easier to live in as a Christian. It's only going to get more difficult. A Christian is going to continue to become more and more a persecuted person. Do you want to be a Christ follower? Pick a side. That doesn't mean you have to be anti the other side. To be pro-Christian means to be pro-Christ. That means to be pro-Jesus. 
And then to go into this world like Jesus would, gentle but firm. Go into this world like Jesus would, loving people right where they're at, removing titles off of people, loving them right where they are, and loving them all the way to the cross. That's, what, that's who Jesus is. When Elijah challenged the people, though, he challenged them to be these anchors. But what did the people do? Go back to verse 21. Underlined on the screen, read it with me. But the people said nothing. Today, if God's spirit is knocking on your heart, don't just sit there and say nothing. Respond to him. Since they said nothing, that also means they did nothing. Don't be those type of people. Don't just hear God's word and go and do nothing with it. Be a group of people that hear God's word and you do something with it. You let it come into your heart and you let it dictate to you how you're going to live your life that week. If you find yourself living an inconsistent Christianity, let me just give you a simple instruction that I think is really going to radically transform you. Admit it. Some of you need to walk into work tomorrow and you just need to admit, I've called myself a Christian. I've tried to promote to you this or that, but I've been living my life completely different. It's going to be humbling. But you know what it's going to do? It's going to restore relationships. You know what it's going to do? It's going to give you influence again in people's spiritual lives. It's going to tear down the walls that you, the example of your inconsistency has been building for them of why should I follow Jesus? You're, you're no different. It will tear those things down when you just humble yourself and you admit it. You know the last thing it's going to do? It's going to restore your testimony. It's going to restore your testimony. Some of you need to go home today after this service and sit down with your family when you get ready to eat or whatever and just look them in the eye and just admit it. I'm sorry. I, I feel conviction. Conviction has a name. The Holy Spirit. I sense him speaking to me. I'm going to be the man or the woman of God that you know, I need to be in front of you. I'm not going to be perfect. But you know what? When I fail, I'm going to admit it. And it's going to keep you. It's going to keep you on a straight and narrow. It's a testimony thing. We've been hearing testimonies throughout this entire teaching series. We're going to do it again today. I want you to hear a testimony of someone that ra- had, had experienced a radical transformation because of God's power in his life. Uh, this guy is one of our uh, board members. He's a trustee here at our church. Would you please welcome to the stage Travis Kavorik? One of my first memories as a child is my mom and my first stepfather getting divorced. Um, he was the only dad I'd ever known, and he left, and I never saw him again. He was leaving, left a deep wound. And that day is like a photograph forever burned into my memory. For the next few years, it was my mom, my brother from that marriage, and me. Um, it was small town Nebraska in the 80s, and most of my friends had both their parents. I can remember people commenting on how differently we look for brothers and the look on their faces when they learned that we had different fathers. Um, we were two boys from different fathers with a single mother. I always felt inferior, less than. Um, then came another marriage, another brother. Um, during this time, I learned what it was like to, to feel afraid in my home. Um, even the slightest infraction of the rules could bring a pretty severe beating. Um, then another divorce, another marriage. Um, 
the wounds from living in a constant state of instability and abuse, abandonment, um, had, had shaped me. Um, I remember, you know, thinking that if there was a God, he was my number one enemy because he had the power to help me but didn't. Um, well, by this time, all of, the, all of that pain had, had shaped me. Um, on the outside, I, I was funny and smart. I was always telling stories and cracking jokes. I excelled academically. Um, but on the inside, I was, I was hard and calloused and angry and resentful. Um, in my early teens, I started using alcohol and drugs. Um, they alleviated the feeling of inferiority, uh, gave me a place to belong, made life lighter and fun. Got arrested several times in high school for drinking-related crimes. I still managed to get a scholarship, go to college. Um, when I went to college, I surrendered completely to my addiction. Uh, flunked out of school and immersed myself completely in the drug lifestyle. The weight of being what everybody expected me to be, given my childhood, became unbearable. I was 20 years old. And I knew death was near, but I welcomed it. In March of 1998, I fell asleep behind the wheel of my car, coming down from a long meth binge. And when I stopped in the ditch, my anger at God just boiled to the surface. And I screamed at this guy, God, why do you keep saving me? The next few months were a whirlwind. And within a few days, I was in a detox center, um, then a treatment center, then a halfway house. I learned to live life without the use of drugs. But a lot of, a lot of my other behaviors stayed the same. My lifestyle led to my girlfriend of a few months, a woman who I barely knew, becoming pregnant. And at that moment, the pain from my childhood was real again. Um, I never wanted my children to have to, to live, live through what I lived and I knew because of my choices that I'd created a situation where that was a good possibility. So we got married. She had a beautiful baby girl. And then uh, fell back into full-blown addiction to methamphetamine. For the next year, I lived in constant fear for the safety of my wife and my child. And then she left. And this left me a single parent and heartbroken I wanted so badly for my child to have what I didn't. A stable home with two loving parents. So again, I cried out to God, but this time on my knees in desperation. The next few months, I was able to do the things I needed to do to protect my child, to begin healing. Um, the whole time, I could feel God's presence there with me, right beside me but life was still heavy. Then I met a wonderful woman who I admire greatly and uh, we began dating. And with this came great fear after living through multiple divorces as a child and, and one of my own as an adult. Um, so with discussion, we decided to, to come to church. And that day is like another 
snapshot burned into my memory forever. Um, on that day, God gave me healing and saving grace through his son, Jesus. And it was like that weight was lifted from my shoulders, placed on his forever. As I began to heal, um, I could see all the times when I'd cried out to God, and he had answered, but it wasn't obvious to me in the time, in, in the, at the time. I could remember in every phase of my life there being Christian people there loving me and telling me about the love of Jesus. I could remember God speaking truth to me through people who weren't even Christians. Today, because of, of God's faithfulness in my life, uh, my wife, Dawn, and I, are able to give our, our children a stable home with a thriving marriage. He put us together both in times of, of hurt and blessed us through each other. We have friendships with people who love us, who pray with us, who share in our joy and our pain. It's because of this life that God has given me in the one in eternity that I serve with great joy. And it's not to pay back a debt because I could never even start to do that. But it's with the knowledge that as I serve, God will use me to give others the same gift that I've been given. My name is Travis Kavork, and I am second. You just need to know today, it doesn't matter what your background is like, the power of God can transform you. You see, you and me are brought to the same spot that Travis was brought to and that Elijah was brought to. And that is, if you're truly going to trust in the power of God, then you're going to have to learn how to start calling on the power of God. And today, right now, wherever you're at, what is it that you need to call on the power of God for? What are you faced with today that you need God's power to be at work in? It could just be to control your own personal life. It doesn't have to be some other thing that's happening on the outside. It could just literally be you. God, I need your power to keep Jeff Baker in line. I need your power just to be that consistent person. I need your power so that when I feel stretched, I respond with yes. I don't know what it is for you, but I know what the outcome is going to be. The same outcome that happened for Elijah. Take a look. In verse 37 and 38, Elijah's praying now with the, with the water-soaked sacrifice in front of him. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. Watch. Why does, he want to, why does he want God to answer him? So that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. Why does God want you to call on him? Why does God want you to call on him and, and need his power to lead your business, to lead your family, or to lead your life? So that A, you will know that the Lord is God. And so B, others will know that the Lord is God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. He went on though. It was right after that. Then the fire of the Lord fell and he burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stone and the soil and all, everything else was licked up. God displays his power when we get to a, a place where we're willing to call on him. And when he displays his power, he's doing it so that you will know he's God and so that others will know he's God. What did the people do after the power of God showed up? Remember what the story? Remember how the story went? What did they do? They fell flat on their face. 
And they started crying out to the Lord God, the one true God. See, that's what God wants to do through your life. Today, we have the privilege of knowing Jesus and him crucified. The greatest display of God's power happened through Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. The next greatest display of God was when you and me fell on our knees, just like those guys did in Elijah's time. We fell on our knees and we said, Jesus, forgive us of our sins. Come into our life. Lead us from this day on. I, want, I need you to be my Lord, or, Lord and my leader. And the power of God came in and filled your life. And if that's yet to happen for you, you need that. You need that. It's time. Consider surrendering your life to Jesus today. Don't walk out of this place doing nothing and saying nothing. Respond. Hear God's voice and say, yes, I recognize God's power. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. That was the greatest display of God's power. And you know that Jesus encouraged us to go back and reflect on that power? His words were requoted in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when it said, For every time that you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Every time you have communion in front of you, take it out. Every time you partake of communion, you're announcing the power of God through his death and his resurrection. That's one of the things you're doing. You're announcing the power of God through his death and his resurrection. But look at the other thing you're doing. You're not only just looking back, you're looking forward until the day he comes again, till the power of God is displayed again. And that day's coming. Let me tell you something, church. Jesus is coming back, and there is a power that's going to be displayed like nothing you and me have ever experienced or seen. And stuck right in the middle of all of that is you and me living with the power of God inside of us. Today, here at New Life, everybody can take communion. You don't have to be a member of our church. The only biblical prerequisite to receiving communion and taking it is this. Are you a Christ follower? This is, this is reserved for those who have surrendered their life to the power of God and they're living it right now. And closing this message, I want to take you to a place of remembering the power of God. Calling on the power of God in your personal life. Calling on the power of God to transform your life. Why don't you take it and open it up. The first thing you're going to come to is the bread. And Jesus said this, as often as you hold that piece of bread, and you get ready to eat it. I want you to remember this. That's my flesh. That was, it was broken for you. That's my body who took the stripes, that by my stripes you may be healed. That was my physical body that went through the pain of being on that cross, that I would die, that you might experience the greatest power this world has ever seen, Jesus, the Son of God, raising again from the dead. And as often as you do it, reflect on my power and surrender your life to let the power of God work in you. Are you ready to continue to surrender your life and allow the power of God to work in you? If the answer to that is yes, then would you please partake of the bread? Hold back that piece just a little bit farther and you're exposing the juice that Jesus said represented his blood that was shed that day on the cross as the nails pierced his hands and they pierced his feet and the sword pierced his side and 
and the, the stripes from being flogged are, you know, bearing all their, all the blood and it's pouring down his body onto the cross, pulling up at the base of the cross from the crown on his head and the blood flowing down through his eyes. He said that that blood was shed for you and it's by that blood that it covers our sin. The greatest display of God's power on that cross. So today, as we partake of this cup, I want you to remember and I want you to surrender your life to Jesus one more time and invite Invite him. Jesus, I need you to help me be consistent in my walk with, with you. I need you to help me be consistent in my walk in the community. Lord, it's by your blood that was shed that I have a relationship with you, and it's by your blood that was shed that I can walk consistently with you. So if you're here today and you're like, I just want to walk consistent with Christ, I'm thankful for his blood that was shed on the cross, and I invite him to empower me to be the man or woman that God's asked me to be, then would you please partake of the cup as well? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that even in Elijah's day, as the people's knees touched the ground, they began to touch heaven. Lord, in our day, as our knees begin to touch the ground, as we humble ourselves before you, we begin to touch heaven. Lord, today is one of those days. We need your power in our life. Thank you for the most the most amazing display of power through your son Jesus Christ his death on the cross and that he rose again and that he's coming again but in between those two moments he lives in us may the power of the Holy Spirit live in this congregation may the power of the Holy Spirit Lord expand the borders of this church may this church continue to see people come to know Jesus may this be a church full of believers Lord that that help this community of Kearney, North Platte, and it's all of its surrounding of sub-communities, bedroom communities. Lord, may they come alive with the gospel of Jesus Christ as your church hungers to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Bring us to our knees during this time of worship. Bring us to our knees so that we can touch heaven as we worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen.